everyone and welcome back to the NeuroQual podcast series. This is a show that explores the use of qualitative research methods in neurosurgery. Um, I'm Dr. Charlie Whiffin. I'm a visiting researcher within NIHR Global Health Research Group on Neurotrauma and also a senior lecturer at the University of Derby. And with me, I'm joined by several members of the NeuroQual team. So uh, Yusuf, would you just like to introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Yusuf Dokrat. Uh, I'm a final year medical student at Stellenbosch University in South Africa. Brilliant. Thank you for joining us today. And Sasha? Hi, my name is Sasha and I'm final year medical student at Cambridge University. Fabulous. And Brandon? Hi, I'm Brandon, a PhD student in the uh, National Health Research Group for Neurotrauma as well. Brilliant. And today we're going to be listening to um, a great interview with a neurosurgeon from um, Italy, uh, Dr. Paolo Parmischiano. Um, so we will leave you to listen to that interview and we will regroup and have a bit of a chat about it. All right. So, uh, so thank you so much for joining me today to talk a bit about qualitative uh, methods and your experiences of using them. Um, so, Paolo, would you just like to introduce yourself uh, to the people, to the listeners, and um, what study we're going to be talking about today? Yeah. Thank you, Charlie, for this amazing opportunity. It's my honor to be able to present our previous work. So uh, the work we are talking about today is a public, an article published on World Neurosurgery in 2020. It's called Attitudes, Attitudes of Patients and Their Relatives Toward Artificial Intelligence in Neurosurgery. So briefly introducing myself, I am Paolo Palmisciano. I am at the moment, I'm a researcher in neurosurgery, and I plan to, in the future, be able to become um, a trainee in neurosurgery. So my, one of my interests is about artificial intelligence. And I think all the listeners will know this, but artificial intelligence, even though it's not very recent, but it's in, in the interest in introducing artificial intelligence in medicine and especially mm. neurosurgery is pretty recent. Mm. So you, it's difficult sometimes to introduce innovative technologies in surgery and in medicine in general. Mm. So we thought, and actually we decided to follow a guide, a recent guidelines called ideal framework. Mm. And we, thought that maybe the best approach to let patients and also hospitals to accept new artificial intelligence technologies is not to develop first and see what happens next. Yeah. It's to ask first what patients, what surgeons, what you know healthcare needs and think would be appropriate mm. in medicine. And then try to develop something based on that. So the paper we are discussing today focuses on this. We ascertained um, the attitudes of patients. We asked patients their knowledge of artificial intelligence, their feelings about artificial intelligence, and their opinions. And based on the analysis we did, we tried to find some good approaches to introduce new technologies in neurosurgery. So that is the brief explanation of the project. Lovely, thank you. And just as a, just a follow-up, just fascinated about um, innovation in neurosurgery and, and specifically in, in AI. I'm just, why, do, why is it so difficult to introduce innovation 
in in neurosurgery what is it that people are scared about do you think I think first of all if we if, I think we need to to make a step back before talking about neurosurgery we should talk about medicine in general mm. I mean that applies to almost every field in medicine from dermatology to neurosurgery or pediatrics for example patients are sens sensible people because mm. you know each one of us has has fears and he is scared about something but when you when you are a patient your level of fear is even higher because mm. you, of course if you if you want to live that depends on that but if you if you want your life if you love your life of course you are scared about your future mm. so sometimes we trust what is known what is what is, what has been uh, confirmed in the past to be working and sometimes not just maybe elderly people but also young people sometimes we are scared to new approaches and of course artificial intelligence new technologies innovation in general it's difficult to be introduced if you are if the patient is not sure this new device this new support would be helpful for his or her impro improvement you know mm -hmm. and uh, above that neurosurgery is a very very sensible field because when you when you are as a patient know that you need to be operated for example in your brain yeah your level of fear is even higher as i told as i said before mm. so sometimes it's not it's not easy at all to just tell your patient you know we have this new device yeah it, it uses artificial intelligence it's great it can help you <laughs> It, the patient may may think that i don't know like there is a robot operating yeah. something like that because sometimes people don't, uh, don't know what artificial intelligence is you know yeah. so it's it's tricky but hopefully you can see that the society is evolving mm. and maybe also healthcare is evolving together with the society mm. hopefully i mean and I love what you just said there. You, you you came from a position of you need to ask first. And I think so much in medicine is this sense of, you know, we know, we've done the research, we know what's best. And here is the thing that we know is best for you. And that that bit at the beginning, which is let's just find out if this is acceptable. Let's find out what the fears are, what yeah. the what, you know, what people's preconceived ideas might be about this thing before we deliver it to somebody and say, this is what you need to do. Um, so I think that's a really, a, a really, really insightful comment that you've made there. Um, so why did you choose specifically qualitative methods for the study? Could you not have done it in a different way? I think that we wanted to approach this topic in a broader uh, way, meaning that first, yeah, for example, if I'm going to ask you your opinion about AI, as you being, for example, the first author of one project, of course, the project will be biased based mm. on just your opinions about that. Yeah. But we thought that with a qualitative approach, of course, trying to talk with as many patients we could, 
we would get different opinions, different ideas, maybe from different, not just people, because each one, each one of us is the, has different thoughts, but also different people uh, being part of different groups, if I may, of mm-hmm. the society. Mm-hmm. For example, for, based on the age, based on gender, based on uh, even um, work, job, profession. Yeah. So I think that with a qualitative approach, letting the people be free, feel free mm. to, to tell us what they want to tell us. Mm. Of course, focused on the specific question, yeah. open. I, I should underline open question we mm. asked. Mm. We would get responses. Of course, some of them will not be useful. Some more than the others. Mm. Some, some answers will be totally misleading. But that is the... The goal, you know, when you start a qualitative study, you know that eventually the result will be that. But at the same time, I think you should, this is my way of living, you should take the best of whatever you got. Mm. So if, if you got one or two misleading answers, yes, you can, maybe you can decide to skip them, but maybe you, you don't. Maybe you just understand why those people answer in that way because maybe it can't seem misleading but actually it's not maybe they are just telling you that they don't know mm. what you ask them and this is important data because you know that people don't know so your approach would be to educate not impose only mm. educate people about what you want would like what you would like to introduce in medicine mm. That's so interesting. And I think you've got you 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 you've got that idea that actually you can either look at everything everything kind of that homogenous bit in the middle or the they're normally distributed and just say, well, that's kind of like an average, that's what's going on. Or you can really look at those outliers and say, actually, what's going on with these guys? You know, yeah. what what if you look at what's going on with these outliers for want a better word, you know, you can really you you can understand something different about the middle because actually those those views and those opinions although they seem very they can sometimes feel quite strange at the time when you hear them they can often reveal very interesting uh, perspectives that you possibly haven't considered before because of your own assumptions or biases or you know your own perspectives and what you've been exposed to but they're so they're, they're so rich um and, and have so much potential in engaging those particular those particular perspectives you think yeah yes indeed it is. And actually, I think that, yes, the average, I mean, scientific, scientifically speaking, we uh, always aim for knowing the average of something. But mm-hmm. at the same time, patients are not numbers. Patients mm-hmm. are people. And if you know, as you said, the outliers, you will be able in your routine daily practice to address outliers fears mm. outliers worries mm. i think yeah absolutely and just going back to something you said about you know why you did you, you chose some qualitative methods to begin with i think one of those things is um that's the position of knowing i think in when you construct something quantitative like your survey like you said that you're you know you have to come from your own position of what you think is important to construct a questionnaire so the questionnaire is always is designed in your image for what you know 
because yeah. it's your yeah. it's your decision about what questions you ask. So you only get answers based on what you've asked and you decided yes. was important at the beginning. Whereas if you have the opportunity to come from a more humble position of I don't really know what's happening here, you know, you need to tell me about these things I don't know. Focus around my research question, obviously, but you know that sense of opportunity and that exploration into places that you hadn't even thought about, and that can be really. I think that that's really um, exciting as a researcher to go somewhere that you you hadn't expected to. Yes, it's fascinating actually. Um, yeah, sorry. So, no, sorry no, no, no. So no, no, no. So what made you first interested in qualitative methods? Because they're not really something that I've seen much published um, in neurosurgery, and um, I mean, medical literature get, is is getting is more common, but it's still has very um it's it's in the early stages yeah 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 yeah. it's it's emerging isn't it so what got you got you interested in it well I think that (laughs) first of all in as you said you need to humble yourself to make yourself humble and you uh, when we decided because the we had different projects I mean more like engineering medical projects about AI. But we decided to make a step back and to seriously try to understand patients. Try to, because, I mean, when you start a project in medicine, usually you trust in yourself, you trust in your gut, you trust in your idea. So, it, I mean, it's pointless to ask yourself later on, why you did that because you know the answer but as i mean as um as a healthcare provider but sometimes we we thought that sometimes we need to go out the healthcare system not healthcare provider system sorry and asking patient asking people involved but not in, in the first in the first person has a developer but mm-hmm. has a receipt a receipt or a receiver of the new technology and so with a qualitative approach I think we wanted to be more clear about people feelings people thoughts mm-hmm. because yes we in if the listeners and you will be happy to read the paper, I'm, I talked about, you will see that we did another step with a quantitative mm. study. And, you know, quantitative is useful for do math, to do to get results, technical results, which, which at the end of the day are important for the, the final goal. But the qualitative approach, we decided to use that first because I think that especially for something some or some or for some innovation or something you need to introduce in the system or for something not well known in the in the place of your working or again for example in neurosurgery mm-hmm. maybe you should try a qualitative approach to get all ideas but also all questions about different people mm. and maybe your your role will be to address and respond answer to those questions mm. to improve the system 
not just, I mean, yes, we, we are talking about patience, but that is not just patience. We can, you can, we, all of us can do qualitative studies for healthcare providers, like surgeon, like um, nurses, uh, operative, uh, operative room technicians, all of those people, because science, yes, it needs to be numbers, needs to be correct and, and like correct data, strict data, but at the same time, ideas, um, uh, attitudes and perception whatsoever may be useful for new researcher to find new answer, uh, new mm. questions and new answer. I mean, mm. science is evolving and medicine is are evolving for this reason. Mm. I love that. that it's, it's new new questions, new science. And actually, if you think in terms of quantitative, you have to have a hypothesis or a theory for quantitative research. You already have to know what's going on to a certain degree. Whereas in qualitative, because you, you don't really know, starting from that position, that opportunity to go somewhere different, somewhere that you hadn't expe expe expected is really exciting. Um, so I just want to take oh, well, back onto your paper now and, and onto the methods that you use. So more traditionally in, in qualitative research, people would use the, the, the qualitative semi-structured interview. And you didn't do that. You did you use qualitative open-ended questions in a survey. So just interested in your decision making around that and why you chose to do um, ask people to respond on a sur survey to open questions rather than speaking to them face to face. Yeah, and actually, that was the qualitative part. Was not the the decision we had was not all not just um, technical decision. I mean, it was only a technical decision because people were uh, the patients we asked about this were not impatients of the hospital, mm. so we didn't have the chance to talk face to face, unfortunately. Mm. But at the same time. That happened before the pandemics, mm -hmm. and and actually, if I may, if I may say, that appears kind of hilarious because the, the approach we had, we sent uh, the survey through a platform called Qualtrics. Mm -hmm. We sent the link to the patients via email, and we gave them two weeks to answer whenever, of course, they had time. So I think that. A face-to-face -face conversation would would have pros and cons. I will go through them later on. But talking about the indeed not the face-to-face -face approach, but the serve the emailed survey, if I may, mm. that approach was like it, it could um, it, it could be useful for the, the moment we are living. And maybe the future too, because you have the possibility to reach out different people in different parts in the mm. world without being restricted by the geographic, I mean, the country you live in. Mm. And this is important for a qualitative study, I think, because mm. as, as we said before, qualitative work, focus on ideas, focus on open questions. But if I ask people from a restricted culture, even though they may be different based on age, gender, profession, mm. 
but maybe they have the same cultural, if I may, bias. Mm. But if you use, now we, we live in the internet era. So I, of course, almost everyone uh, has internet, has an internet connection, mm. as an email, most of it. And so you can try to send emails, maybe collaborating with different institutions, different uh, professionals. You can try to appraise perception from all around the world, from all the different cultures. Mm -hmm. Yes, not talking face-to-face as is cons, because maybe people will not feel as close to you as they would in a face-to-face discussion. But at Mm -hmm. the same time, you have the possibility to reach out, for example, people in the other uh, half of the world Mm -hmm. that you want, wouldn't, if you would need to do something face-to-face only. Mm -hmm. So, but again, as I I was telling before, even face-to-face has its cons because Mm -hmm. sometimes if, I mean, if we did as, as per the quantitative survey, we need, we did that face-to-face with an iPad. But even though it was face-to-face, I wasn't, because I did that my, by myself, but I wasn't reading patients' responses. I just lived uh, them with the iPad. I was there if they had some right. uh, questions. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they weren't biased based on what I was looking at based on my presence there and actually this is a this could be a con in a face-to-face qualitative approach because if you ask something if you have you know someone we're talking to sometimes you especially if you don't know that people that person sometimes you may feel not free to say what you want to just because you think maybe you don't know the topic, so you are saying something stupid. So it's best if you don't say anything or if you just say, no, I don't know. But maybe you know something. You just don't want to, to say that because you fear that the other person may judge you. So everything has pros and cons. And I, I have, you know, in my modest experience, I cannot tell which one is the best approach. Yeah. Everything depends on what you want to achieve first. And secondly, the important thing is you need to know before starting your uh, analysis of the data you collected about the bias. Yeah. You need to realize your difficulties beforehand, I, mm. I think. I think you've, 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 again, struck on a very, very important issue. I think there's so much, there's so much mess in qualitative research. It's such a, um, it's such a heterogeneous field. You know, there's, there's so many different types and different ways. I think that's what, what scares lots of people from, from going into qualitative research. Um, and I think what you said there was you need to focus on what you need to achieve. So different research questions, regard, you know, different qualitative research questions demand different types of data gathering. So if you only need to achieve quite a narrow insight into a research question, that's absolutely fine. And you can design a method to get that. But if you have a a research question, which is about, you know, the lived experience of, you know, a a cancer diagnosis, you really need to spend time with participants and, you know, 
have you know a, a long engagement you know long interviews and you know time where they can feel comfortable with you and comfortable expressing themselves so it's really I think I think you're you're what you just said there about what do you need to achieve and keeping that in focus there's no point in collecting loads of data that you can't analyze yes. and you, that you have no time for so in that research question for your research study what what is the best method of achieving it and all methods have pros and cons like you say there isn't a perfect method yeah. quantitative or qualitative <laughs> there is no thing, such thing as a perfect piece of research and it's about evaluating those pros and cons in the context of your study and again what you need to achieve so that's really really insightful thank you for that um, and my last question is, um, what advice would you give other neurosurgeons who want to undertake qualitative research? Okay, the first advice should be that talking about neurosurgeons, they sometimes don't have much time to for doing this type of research. I'm not saying they shouldn't. I'm just saying that they need first to understand that this takes time yeah. and sometimes it's best to you know to collect collaborators to mm. to to have some people some younger researchers maybe to help you in doing this type of research and mm. uh, this is just you know like or, uh, an organization tip but as regards the main the main focus of the of my answer i should say that when you when you want to start a qualitative study first of all you have to be clear about your focus mm. i mean it's as you said before it's pointless to just ask people what what do you think about artificial intelligence and that's it mm. i mean it's not important maybe it's best to have more than one questions of course open question but first a broad question mm. then step after step try to be closer to your goal to your focus mm. so that when you will when you get the answers to hold the questions you want to ask at the end you are guiding your um your patient your participant toward your goal mm. not not like it's not like you are guiding in a strict way him or yeah, her. not leading them yeah yes you are and and in that way you will try to keep them on track of of your goal your hand goal this is the first tip my second advice should be that when you at the end when you when you gather all the data, all the answers, you should take time to ana analyze the answers you got. Maybe, for example, I we did a thematic analysis and I think that is a very good approach. So, for example, if you have a broad topic, you should look for similarities, maybe the same words they used some common uh, sentence way of saying when you collect these different words the different themes you may understand the broad view of the part the group of participants you wanted you um, questioned you surveyed 
So it takes time. It's a total, it's a feasible approach. It's very also interesting. And I mean, it was, I enjoyed myself doing that, talking to patients, uh, looking at the patients, be happy once everything was finished. I once I finished the survey and patient could not answer back. Some of them was curious about artificial intelligence. So at the end, I talked with them about this, about the topic I had in mind. Of course, they weren't biased because I didn't let them know this before they answered. Yes. And this is important. But at the same time, at the end, they were happy to, to know something new. And most, most importantly, they were happy that to know something in one, two, three years, 10 years will be introduced in medicine. So eventually. So I think it, this is important, not just for you to know patients' perception, but also to know how to talk to patients even for your future goal. I mean... It's win-win, in my opinion. Good. That's really, really good advice. And I think the time aspect of qualitative research is not insurmountable, but it's it needs to be evaluated. And bringing yes. in collaborators who can work with your team, you know, on a joint project, such great advice. Um, and that, that, that issue about, you know, working with qualitative data, it's not a survey. You can't do a p-value. You can't pop it into SPSS and, you know, calculate yeah. some statistical significant, uh, you know, relationship. It's a very, very different process. So committing to that time that it takes is, is, is a great thing to take away from this interview today. So thank you so much for joining me. Um, thank you any- for inviting me. Is there anything else that you wanted to uh, talk about today? No, I mean, it's fine. It's fine. Thanks for the opportunity. Yes. Lovely. Okay, and welcome back, everybody. Um, So I really enjoyed that um, interview. It was really, I loved talking to Paolo and just his passion um, and interest and and engagement in research. So um, what did you guys think? I thought I thought it was really good how he thought about uh, how he were how he was talking about AI and kind of introducing that into medicine and field of neurosurgery as well and kind of how these big topics might be more difficult to be to introduce to patients um, because they might be a little bit reluctant and is obviously talking about their health and how it will be managed. So I think the idea of using qualitative research. Um, in kind of slowly introducing and well not really introducing more kind of discovering what patients and people's thoughts are towards something like AI or new technologies um, was a really really good use of of qualitative research yeah I really enjoyed um, the talk and and his research as well yeah I, I think you're right like the thing when you're trying to introduce something you know you can either just kind of put it in and, and kind of wonder why it didn't work or you can actually talk to the end user at the beginning and figure out what might be some of their concerns or what might be going on. And then that that facilitates that transition to that, you know, new intervention or technology in this case, much yeah. more smoothly. Um, what about you, Yusef? What did you think? I think um, the podcast 
shed a lot of light on 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 a career path generally that is very very time intensive and uh, very busy. Um, and I like how he 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 mentioned that qualitative research can can almost help and teach the neurosurgeon to actually talk to patients and and to 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 get the patient's perspective and um i like how encouraging he was um for for younger for 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 neurosurgeons to uh, get help to actually perform uh, qualitative methods in in their research because um you know as he mentioned neurosurgeons are always deficient on time and actually getting help to um to do it could increase the output significantly yeah and the thing is is in a in a time strapped profession you know doing something actually it might take you a little bit longer to start with but actually if you think about like his project he's going to make that project much more easy to put into practice so actually a little bit more time kind of up front you know, makes the the time afterwards much shorter but like his advice about like working with a team working collaboratively and that makes it much more fun actually you know it's not just you trying to work out how to do this study it's working in a team you know bringing experts um, and that's really you know I love that part of research is the best bit of research is collaborating with people and kind of being fired up with people's different people's ideas and perspective um, and yeah I find that energy really really exciting what else did you, what, any, any kind of take home messages from what he was talking about? I think the word that he used that I really loved is, I mean, being humble. Everyone should be humble. Um, and I think neurosurgeons and any kind of doctors and surgeons in particular might be seen as not very humble. Um, so kind of, I mean, it might be a stereotype, I'm not sure. But I think kind of, you know, going back and kind of not necessarily downgrading in research, but really kind of focusing on, on the fundamental principles of who we are and, and what, what, what we value. And I think, you know, as you've mentioned, you know, SPSS and all kind of different statistical analyses and tests and laboratory experiments that we can do, they can tell us quite a lot about different things. But, you know, th those fundamental principles of who we are and what we value is really something that has to come from person to person and is different, as he mentioned, you know, different people of different age, different cultural background, different professions are going to have different values. And that's why we need to sit down and listen to them, because if we really want to improve the healthcare system and if we really want to improve how we care for our patients, we need to hear them because, we are there for them, not them for us. Yes, we might want to improve on our surgical techniques and whatnot, but at the end of the day, it's about the patients. It's not about surgeons or doctors. So I think using qualitative research to kind of enable him to really kind of go back to those fundamental principles and values and, and what, what, what we value, what patients value, and us understanding that, is something that I will be taking home with me and not just in like research practice, but also in, in practicing medicine as a future doctor, you know, to sit down, to really ask, because, you know, one treatment might be good for one patient, but another patient might not value the same thing because of their values and, and, and kind of what they value more or less to other patients. So I, I thought that was really, really good take home message. And I Fantastic. Think, 
I definitely agree with you. And I think uh, it was towards the, the beginning of the podcast that I actually mentioned um, the best approach is to not develop first, but rather ask what the patients and the healthcare system needs yeah. um, and, and what that means to them. And, and I think you, you, you perfectly spoke on that. And, and I think that if you can see a lot of, um, you know, the rise in something called uh, patient and participant involvement mm -hmm. is a huge emphasis on PPI in all research. You know, if you want a funding application to be successful, you have to have a really strong strategy around PPI. And that is about talking to people first before you design and develop your study to make sure that actually what you're doing is meaningful and purposeful and partly that's what you know qualitative research is to a certain extent always kind of come from that that perspective mm -hmm. of let's sit down and, and come from this position of, of not knowing um and it's a really it's just really powerful to spend time with people and not you know when he was talking or when we were talking about this idea of kind of normal distribution and I think we can get really caught up with the idea of generalizability and if it's not the average or for most people then it doesn't matter whereas actually those outliers are really interesting mm. you know what you know you'd hope that you never you never make a mistake in practice but if you do you need to learn from it yeah. but, they're, but they're always outliers you know critical incidences are always should always be outliers you know they're not the norm so we need to be able to to take those experiences and really learn from them and that's why it isn't about it's not a numbers game it's not on like homogenizing everybody and saying this is the same for everybody it's about opportunities to learn and grow and understand um, and I think that's where that's where the richness comes from and that depth of learning um, so Brandon what, what were your thoughts I think uh, the, what I really found interesting was just reading through the paper I remember when it came out is the the methodology that's sort of undertaken for such a big concept like AI, because there's so many facets to it and there's so many angles to it, you, you know, if you wanted to design that as a survey or anything, you'd be a thousand questions long. So I think by doing this two-stage process and opening it with these four open-ended questions in a qualitative manner, um, I, I think they, they did it in a, a, a smaller subset of the overall uh, amount of patients they interviewed. But using that to identify themes that then informed your quantitative survey was quite a clever um quite a clever way to do it especially in such a short time frame i believe they actually did it in, in less than a month going from you know start, start, start to finish um so it's a really rapid turnaround but it's really interesting to see how they did it and how they almost made a, a, a general survey from that from that qualitative data so they had at least one avenue to take um based on the things that mattered most to the, the patients they initially interviewed yeah um it is a, a really good way to sort of start the, that conversation uh, as such a broad topic and the intersection between them. Yeah, you often see that in mixed method studies where you have sequential designs. So you start with one methodology, whether it's quants or qual, and the findings of that study then inform the next phase. You can't design the next phase without having completed the first phase. Um, and I really, you know, I kind of like that because you can kind of see the progression of the ideas and how things kind of, you know, inform and inform each other. Um, but I think with it's interesting from a, from a methods perspective, you know, quite often, I think sometimes I can be um, a bit critical of like open ended questions on a on just on a simple questionnaire. Um, and um because and that's because when you have open-ended questions in what's otherwise a fixed answer fixed response questionnaire nobody fills them out 
I know I don't, <laughs> mm. you know, and quite often they come at the end, don't they? So there's like, you know, a, this raft of like 30 odd questions and then there's, and anything else? And you're like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm bored now. I'm tired now. And you don't fill them out. So I'm never a massive fan of those. But actually, if you if your questionnaire from the outset is, is all geared around kind of semi-structured or open responses, then the participant knows from the beginning that actually you're trying to get much more information and there's not then so there's not like 20 open questions because again that doesn't work but there's just like a handful and I think there was only maybe four or five I think in this one so actually you can spend time with those because you know you know when you get to that when you fill out a survey and you know you're only on the third page and you're already 20 minutes in you've still got another 16 pages to go you get really fatigued really really quickly but if you just know you've got these like four questions to answer and that kind of so that, that there's more there's more chance of you getting richer data as a researcher um, in that in in that style of that style of, of um, that style of method. Yeah, it was a very clever kind of data collection design, I think, that sort of left the uh, left the convenience to both patient and the researcher, I think, in this case, because it's either like you can have to make something really convenient for, for the participant, but then the researcher might really struggle in terms of time management and resources, because if you're facing, you know, let's say, Drawing back to interviews, if you're basing your interviews and you have all different hours of the day and, and probably have it, it becomes quite resource intensive. But I yeah. think the, the asynchronous way they did it, although they did it by, you know, by, by survey, and um, you know, that's quite a, uh, it's a debated way of, of collecting data for, for qualitative studies for these free text responses. I think it's, a, it's quite a clever workflow that, that made them to turn around so quickly on such a big, such a big topic. And it's interesting what they say about the geographical barriers and by doing it electronically actually enable them to, to do a lot more than they would have done because you know that's a problem if you have such a, a specialist hospital like I believe it's the, the National Hospital for Neurosurgery that they were referring to where this research was based you know it's a tertiary centre and it's, it's in the middle of London it's it's going to get patients from, from all over the country um, for these for these elective surgeries and I think by enabling them to do it online at their own time and their own convenience that, that, you know that, that enables them to do this research quite well I think. And that's the thing, if you make participation in research easy, you're more likely to get to recruit people because it's not, they're not kind of going out of their way. Mm -hmm. um, and as a, as a, it's really difficult. Everything is a trade-off. So actually in qualitative research, personally, I would like to speak to people for at least an hour face-to-face. But actually, that means that when I did my PhD, I remember driving all around the country and sometimes I could only do one interview in a day. And when I did two interviews in a day, I was exhausted. Like just, it would just like the it just takes so much out of you. It seems like a weird thing to say, but I remember just being absolutely exhausted at the end of the day because you've been kind of focused so much. Um, and but also from a resource perspective, only being able to do one interview per day—that's you know that that you know that's quite tough. Um, but you get really really rich data. Where, but if you're not looking at, and we said this in the podcast, but if you're not looking at questions which are really complex, then actually you can have narrower types of data collection method because you're only interested in attitudes or opinions. So mm. you know, you, you've got a much, much tighter research question, which means you don't kind of want your participants to go off and talk about all sorts of things, which at the time you don't think are immediately relevant um but yeah no I just yeah I just thought his just his energy and excitement around qualitative methods were re was really quite infectious very clever very clever 
So um, I think that's probably about all we've got time for. Um, any kind of take home messages? Um, any take home messages before we close? I think for me, in a sense, even if you are sort of time time stricken as a, as a clinician, I think there's, there's still definitely scope to do these really in-depth patient-centric um, projects. When, you, yeah. you know, when you're looking at the intersection of all these new topics coming together, there, there is still time and there is still ways to do it. And I think it's uh, yeah, very clever methods, very clever data collection, I think can really take you quite far mm. in finding the answers that you want to, to sort of find. I think, yeah, and I think on that note, Brendan, that actually if you value something you'll make time for it mm. so if you think if, if you simply come from a position but don't have time for it then you don't value it I would argue then you don't value it enough mm -hmm. but if you actually value the contribution that patients can make you'll make time to to do these sorts of methods and um, any kind of final message from you Sasha? um I would say speak to patients make the time for it as you said and kind of focus on on what they value and assess whatever you would like to introduce um, technology wise or any new procedure or drugs or anything really um, but base that your decision on including that or not including it on patients thoughts and views so always kind of assess assess the ground first before you kind of go ahead with any any other research or trying to include it so yes yeah, stay humble is my take-home message <laughs> brilliant all right well thanks so much for everybody for for joining us um and we hope we will see you next again next time bye